Welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Colin Urquhart. Okay, please be seated. By now it's quite apparent that the deeper life is a way of life. And it's a way of faith, because without faith we can't please God. It's a way of love. Uh, If I had another session, I'd just speak to you about the relationship between faith and love. I'll speak a little bit about the love this morning, but we have a limitation of time, so I can't say as much as I would like to say about that. But it's also, of course, a way of holiness. Now, you can't separate faith, love, and holiness. You see, as Christians, we're called to a way of faith, We're called to a way of love. We're called to a way of holiness. But there's only one way. So the way of Jesus is a way of faith, is a way of love, is a way of holiness. And we've seen that holiness is Christ-likeness. And actually, the more we draw near to God and his holiness, the more we see the activity of Christ amongst us. Not just the presence of Christ. Because wherever he is present, he works. God doesn't want to be just present amongst us. His his purpose of presencing himself is so that he can work in us and through us and touch the lives of many other people. In the early 1980s, we had in the life of kingdom faith a revival of holiness. God met with us in our holiness. Now, it's a long story, and I'm not going to go into all the details. But I just want you to understand the fruit of it. Because it underlines what I've been teaching you all this weekend. It came out of an intensive time of seeking God. And at that time, we didn't have a church. My ministry was going around encouraging revivals, speaking at big evangelistic missions and crusades and conferences and so on. And there came a a weekend when we were doing what we were doing this weekend. We had set that time apart in obedience to the Holy Spirit just to meet with him and to draw near to him in his holiness. And In one of the meetings, literally, it was like Jesus walked into the room in his holiness, and his holiness came upon us. Now, this was just before I was leading a series of evangelistic missions. These were big events. One of them, for example, was in Manchester with 70 churches participating. So they were major events. What we saw happening from that time, not only in those uh, evangelistic crusades, but also in in other situations, is that while we were worshipping, well, first of all, we would be praying beforehand. Uh, We found that we needed to pray for two hours, and it was really intensive prayer. This was the mission team that was with me. And the holiness of God would be so much upon us that sometimes it was difficult to get from the prayer room onto the platform. Because if you read the book of Revelation, when the holiness of God comes upon people, they can hardly move. And it was like that sometimes. And then when we worshipped, of course, there was this presence of holiness. Uh, we've, we've had some touches of it this weekend, and 
Caroline, Simon, and I have really enjoyed your worship. Well, we've enjoyed the Lord in the worship. And, and, uh, but while we're worshiping, spontaneously, people were never invited, but people would come forward and they'd fall on their knees, they'd fall on their faces. Even unsaved people, because these were evangelistic crusades, people in the worship were just so moved by God that they would come forward and they would meet with God. In times of revival, you know, if you ever read your history books about revival, People weren't led to the Lord, they came to the Lord. They, they, they just came to the Lord uh, in, in a variety of ways. And then uh, while I was preaching, often while I was still preaching, I mean, the first time it happened, I said, Lord, I haven't finished yet. And he said, you don't need to. Because hundreds, literally hundreds of people were running forward, falling on their knees, falling on their faces before God. Many of them unsaved people, many of them the counselors that were supposed to be counseling in this thing, but they couldn't have counseled anybody because they were pinned to the floor by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of them were unsaved people. They were coming to the Lord. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered from demonic powers, and nobody was ministering to anybody. It was simply the Lord. But you see, this comes out of meeting with God in His holiness. So a, a conference like this is not just to have a good time in worship. It's a stepping stone towards what God wants to take you into. Amen. You just get a little touch of the deeper life. At that time, we were living in the deeper life. And it's, it's, it, it was easier to pray than not to pray. I actually had to stop people praying so much. Now, for a pastor to be in that situation, that is miraculous. <laughs> but people on our team, they were praying five or six hours a day because they couldn't stop praying. Uh, and, you know, when it came to the worship, you had to make yourself worship, stop worshiping. It was because, uh, you know, we could have gone on, we could have worshipped until tea time today. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but we do have restraints of time. So... You can, you can understand that we're not concerned just to have an experience of deeper life in worship. What God is concerned about is that we live this deeper life. You see, the, the strange thing is, is the deeper you go with God, the higher he lifts you up. Your faith goes up to another level. Your love goes up to another level. Your walk, whole walk with God goes up to another level. I can remember just... One thing, because I've been talking to you about the importance of speaking. I'm going to say a little bit more than that and then move into the love and see the relationship between the two. But I can remember one incident in one of the meetings. We were actually having a, a meeting in a university. And, and it was, obviously it was in a big meeting hall. And, um, but it was in the middle of the university complex. And there was a, an aisle, as there often is, down, down the middle. And the double doors... Uh, at the entrance, and then a corridor beyond. And, and I'd preached the word and, and was just leading a time of ministry. And one of, the, one of the musicians, who obviously had microphone, suddenly shouted out, In the name of Jesus, stop! And what he'd seen was two students going out, leaving the meeting, and walking down the corridor. And he just commanded them, Stop! They immediately were slain in the spirit. They fell to the ground where they were. 
it transpired that there were two unsaved people. Uh, one of the team went and led them to the Lord. You see, that's the authority with which we can speak. I never noticed them because I was engaged in the ministry, you understand. But one of the teams, and, and we, our expectation at that time is that we would see at least 100 people come to the Lord every meeting. And sometimes we saw 1,000 people come to the Lord a week. Now you see, that's the fruit that comes out of encounter with God. This is what I'm talking about. That encounter with God is not an end in itself. It's only a means to an end. And God, I believe, will, you, what he's doing amongst you in the worship is great, but he will bring you to the point where you will learn how he wants to use that encounter with him to then begin to minister very powerfully and transform people, heal people, even in the midst of the worship. It will happen more and more as, as you get into this flow of worship. Always our difficulty in church life is to make the time and the space. You see, God can only move in the time and space that we give him. Can you understand that? And if we, if we limit God in time, then we limit what he is able to do amongst us. I'm constantly fighting this battle. Uh, because, you know, we, 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 it's not that God needs time. We need the time to actually be open and receive from God all that he wants to pour into our lives. Now, last night we were talking about how important it is that we sow positive things in what we say and we don't sow weeds. Amen? I want you to listen to something that Jesus said. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Wow. I think that's one of the most awesome things Jesus ever said. In other words, we are not to sow weeds. We're not even to be careless in the way in which we speak. We are to be careful that what we say is the truth, what we say is positive, what we say is building people up, not criticizing them, pulling them down and destroying them. Amen? Do you remember there was a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years who pushed through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and, and she was healed, wasn't she? You all remember that one. What you may not remember is that it says in the scripture that before she did that, and the woman said, if only I get to touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She said. Amen. Some translations say she thought, but actually the word is said yes. in the original. You see, she spoke it, but having spoken it, she still had to act upon it. 
So you speak the word, then you act upon it. But she wouldn't have acted if she hadn't first spoken. That's what she believed. And of course, because she was touching Jesus, you know, the, the other disciples, because Jesus said, who touched me? And, and the other disciples around said, uh, uh, what do you mean who touched you? You're being jostled by the crowd. So many people are touching you. But he knew he'd been touched by faith. But where did the faith begin when the woman said, if I only said, said, if I only touch him, I will be healed. And then she followed up. Now turn, if you have your Bible with me, to Acts chapter 3. For here's another <clears throat> well-known event. Because Jesus now, of course, is in glory and, and uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon these disciples and they're beginning to see thousands of people come to the Lord and they're seeing more and more miracles happening. And this is a good one that's recorded, isn't it? Uh, one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. They were praying at three in the afternoon. Even at three in the afternoon, what a time to pray. And there was a crippled man from birth who was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He expected to receive. I mean, he was looking for the wrong thing, but there was an expectation. He even spoke. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Now, we need to see what Peter does. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Peter said, he hasn't done anything yet, but Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. Not what Jesus has in heaven, not what God is able to do, but what I have I give you. What did he have? The first minute. Those of you who haven't been at the meetings, get the recordings because I can't repeat it. He had, he knew he had everything in the first minute. He had the life, he had the power, he had the authority, he had the place, his position before God that, that uh, Jesus Christ had enabled because of his sacrifice on the cross and his victory over death. What I have, I give you. He's speaking faith before he does anything. Then he acts upon what he says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. No, no laying on of hands, no prayer. Oh, Father, Father, you see this poor man. We know you have compassion. We sure you love him. We believe you want to heal him. We thank you for the stripes of Jesus. Boom, 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 boom. No, Peter got on with it. Because I think when Christians pray on prayers like that, God's saying, what on earth are you doing? Why don't you get on with it? But we don't get on with it if we don't believe we can do it. If we don't believe we can do it. If we don't believe we can do it. Why? Because Jesus has given us a commission, heal the sick. He tells us to heal the sick, not just pray for them. Heal the sick. There's, uh, this isn't just about healing, but... It is about healing, but it's about so much more than that because it, it's, it, the same authority reply, refers to whatever we're doing, applies to whatever we're doing. 
But we just have these examples in Scripture about healing which are easy for us to use because, you know, you see visible, discernible results. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Sometimes when I, I'm, I'm ministering in places, you know, there might be a big, big crowd of people and there's an aisle down the middle. And the one of the good thing about having radio mics is you can come off the platform because I like to be near the people that I'm speaking to. And I sometimes just walk, walk down through the platform, through, through the aisle. And while I'm speaking, I'll just lay hands on someone. Someone on the aisle. I, I lost the Holy Spirit, you know, which one. And, and I just lay hands upon the person. I just go on preaching. And after a minute or two, the person will begin to break down and weep. And then I'll stop preaching and say, you're weeping, why? God's just healed me. Why? What I have, I've given. There weren't actually any words. It wasn't actually praying. But what I have, I've given. You see, if you have Christ in you, Christ wants to flow through you. What do you have? Christ in you. What do you have? His authority. What do you have? His power. What do you have? His life. What do you have? His love. So you can speak love. You can act love. You can speak power. You can act power. You can speak faith. You can act faith. Listen. God wants you to love people. And one of the best ways to love people is to speak good to them. One of the things I like doing is speaking good to the people at checkout in the supermarket. You know they have so many negative people saying so many negative things to them. It's nice to say something encouraging, right? And it's good to say to them or to anybody, you know, thank you for serving me, thank you for helping me, because in everything we're supposed to give thanks. And then it's good to say, God bless you. Now, you see, you can say, well, that's just a form, or you can really believe if you say it, God is going to bless them. Why? Because you have every blessing. You can bless others with the blessings that you have. God bless you. Spread his blessing. That's good seed. And you see, the more good seed you, you sow, the more you will reap. Just turn with me to John chapter 15. I'd like to spend at least an hour just talking about this, but we've got a few minutes. Now, you know, the, you, you know this passage, I'm sure, most of you. Jesus talking about himself being the vine and, and the disciples, the branches. So we're living in Christ and as we're living in Christ, he lives in us. Continue to live in me, abide in me, remain in me, rest in me, tarry in me, and I will continue to live in you. And he then begins to talk to them about this love. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Tenses of verbs, tenses of verbs, so have I loved you. You'll find again and again in Scripture, God doesn't say, I love you. He does say that. But more often, he says, I have loved you. 
See, because he has loved us in what he's done for us. He has loved us in what he's given to us. He has loved us by filling us with the fullness of Christ. So he is saying uh, to these disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is not emotional love. This is agape love. This is a love that is eternal. This is a love that never changes. It doesn't change with circumstances, doesn't change with emotion and feeling. This is a love that gives. This is a love that serves. So as the, as the Father has loved me, because remember Jesus said in his humanity he could not do anything himself, so the Father's loved him, the Father's provided for him, the Father's spoken through him, the Father's performed miracles through him, the Father has been faithful to him. So as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you in just exactly the same way. Then he says, now remain, abide, continue to live in my love. You see, if you live in Christ, you live in love because he is love. Amen? And if you live in love, he, love lives in you. And the scripture says that God has poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So if you've received the Holy Spirit, you have received the same love that was in Jesus when he was in his humanity. You have received the love of God. So that love is within you. But of course, you have to speak that love, express that love, and act in that love. And then Jesus says in verse 10, this is, this is crucial. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, what are his commands? Basically, if, if you boil it all down, Jesus gives two commands to his disciples. Believe and love. Everything is contained in that. If you read the first letter of John, remember John was the closest to the disciples. He was really like Jesus' personal, he was the closest to Jesus. He was like Jesus' personal assistant. We know that from the place he had at uh, the Last Supper. And it's obvious from his gospel that Jesus could tell John things that he told nobody else. Uh, and what John writes about in, in his first epistle, if you read it, he talks about faith and then love, faith and then love, faith and then love. And then in the latter part, he brings the two together. And all the time, you see, he is wanting to the people that he's writing to, the general letter to the churches, that God wants them to be a holy people. You have received the anointing of the Holy One, he says. But how does the anointing of the Holy One work out in practice? Faith and love, faith and love, faith and love, faith and love. Are you there? So the deeper life is really a deepening of our faith and a deepening of our love, a deepening of our love for God and therefore a deepening of our love for others. Now, with a deepening of the love of God, there's going to be action. This is the point because Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So the more we are abiding, living in the, the love, the, the, if you like, the more deeply we are living in the love of God, the more obedient we will be. Because the greater our love for Jesus. So, if you, love, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, the implication is, you won't remain in his love if you don't obey his commands. Amen? Because if you don't obey him, you're not interested in living in his love. Hello? Okay, 
So, just as, this is amazing, you see, just as, in the days of his humanity, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. The implication is Jesus knew if he did not obey his Father, he would have been like the first Adam, and he would not have remained in the Father's love, and there would have been no salvation for anyone. So Jesus understood how important it was for him to remain in obedience to his Father. This is the obedience of love. Paul talks about the obedience of love and the obedience of faith. He says, as an apostle, it was his responsibility to lead people into the obedience of faith. He says at the beginning of the letter to Romans. So I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This, this deeper life is a life of joy. Greater joy. Greater joy comes out of the greater faith and greater love that God is expressing in our lives by his spirit. My command is this. Well, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Imagining Jesus wants you to have the complete joy that he had. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1 that it was the anointing of the oil of joy that was upon him that raised him above his companions. What marked Jesus off from everybody else was that he was more joyful than anybody else. And yet he was more holy than anybody else. So the holiness and the joy go together. If you ever see a joyless Christian, you know he's not walking by faith, you know he's not walking in love, and you know he's not walking in holiness. He might be doing all kinds of other things, but he certainly is not walking by faith, in love, or in holiness. If you're walking in the way of God, that's a way of joy. Amen? Amen. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Even in the midst of the most terrible circumstances, we will always rejoice in the Lord because he is always the same. And you see, what I've found is that if you don't rejoice in the Lord, he won't lift a finger to help you until you do begin to rejoice. Once you begin to rejoice, he's there for you. It's time and time again I've seen that in people's lives. You know, they blame God, they're angry with God, they have all kinds of negative attitudes towards God because of what... Has, has happened in their lives, not that he's done, but, what he, but it seems to them what he has allowed to happen. And there's all these negative things, and God waits, he waits, he waits. When they begin to rejoice, he says, now I'm here for you. What do you need? What do you want me to do? Because this is the word of God. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. While you're resenting the circumstances, you're not giving thanks. And if you're not giving thanks, you're not rejoicing. But as soon as you start to rejoice, faith kicks in. The love kicks in. Amen? God kicks in. He's there for you, and he's going to, be, he's going to give you whatever you need. Release into your life whatever is relevant at that time. So important, so important. And, and of course... At, when you go through, you know, the testing of our faith proves it's genuine, the scripture says. When you go through a severe testing of faith, you don't feel like rejoicing. But that's part of the test. And you don't, you don't want to, it's like, you know, I always say the test the Lord gives is like the driving test. If you fail the test, you have to sit it again. And you don't want God to take you through another trauma to see if you rejoice next time. Better to rejoice in the first one. Then he says, oh, that's good, you passed the test, we don't need to do that again. <coughs> 
Amen. You can tick that one off. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, your joy may be in my, com- my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, this is the whole point, you see, that the only way in which we can express love for God is by loving one another. Jesus prayed, Father, may they be one, so that the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. The love, there's no unity without love, is there? And you know, so many Christian congregations think that to love one another is to be nice to one another. To smile, you know, give a charismatic hug. I love you in the Lord, whatever that might mean. It sounds so super spiritual, doesn't it? I love you in the Lord. <laughs> oh, boy, boy, boy. Loving, love is expressed in giving. That's good. You see, you only love someone if you lay down your life. Look. Hello, 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 hello. Greater love has no man than this. This is the next verse. That he lay down his life for his friends. So you love the other people in the church here, for example, if you lay down your life for them. Which means you're living for them. You don't come to church for yourself. You come to church to love all the others who are here. You see, you, once you realize that, then you've begun to understand what it means to be a member of a church. Of any church. But until you're there for the others instead of yourself, you don't even understand what it is to be church. Hello? You see, I'm going to get in the car and zoom 300 miles south in a moment, so I don't mind what I say to upset you this morning. (laughs) So you are my friends. (laughs) If you do what I command you... (laughs) Hallelujah. I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, to go and do the stuff. Right? Fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You, You start speaking it and doing it. The father is going to give you whatever you ask in his name. But you see, what does it mean to ask in his name? It doesn't mean, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. It means to do things in his name. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You see, that's prayer. As Jesus taught it, speak to the mountain, command it to be moved. But believe in your heart that when you speak, it will be moved. To Jesus, that's prayer. We think all prayer is, oh, Lord. Listen, how can I explain this? Um, Just think for a moment. This is you, right? This is someone for whom you're concerned. They need to receive. Let's say the keyboard is God in heaven. You can understand that God is not a keyboard. (laughs) This is purely for illustrative purposes. Now, this is you. So, what do most Christians do? Oh, Lord, bless your servant. 
oh Lord, I'm so concerned about this child of yours. Please pour your healing life into him. Now, that's the conventional understanding of prayer, right? But it's not really what Jesus teaches. And it's not really what you see happening in his ministry and in the Acts of the Apostles. It's the other way around, you see. God says, right, I have given you the fullness of my life. I've given you my life and my authority. I've given you my power. I've given you the commission. So you say, Father, in your name, be healed. Receive from God. In other words, God has given you a direct line of life and power into this person's life. Remember, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing so you can bless others. You need to pray for your pastor, but when you pray for the pastor, it's not just a question of, oh Lord, bless Pastor Paul. You see, you can speak to him. Be blessed, Pastor Paul. Perhaps in some specific way that God is laying on your heart, bless him, speak to him. You have that power and authority. Yes. Be blessed and get another pair of trainers instead of those orange suits. <laughs> yeah, he'd get another orange pair, wouldn't he? <laughs> But can you see, God has invested. This is what we have. Peter says, what I have. He's not being proud. He's just learning to use it. What God has invested in him by the power of the Spirit, he's learning to put it into action. What I have, I give to you. I mean, often, you know, at the end of sort of big meetings, people come up to me all kinds of needs. I can remember one guy came up and said, oh, I'm having a real uh, problem with, with smoking. Um, will you pray for me? And I said, in the name of Jesus, you are set free from all smoking. If you ever take another one, you'll be violently sick. <laughs> That's how I deal with that. <laughs> and, and then I warn them, I'm, I'm telling you, if you dare to have another cigarette, you will be violently sick. And they are. Because one or two people have told me I tried it just to see, and I was violently <laughs> sick. I mean, that's better than nicotine patches. But we have the authority. The person has to want to be set free. You can understand that. So you just can't go to anybody who's smoking and say things like that. I mean, the point is, it's the cigarette that smokes. They're just the suckers.
The jokes are free. They're not part. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's no extra charge. So, we want to use what God has given us. And there's so much more I could say about the way the faith, the love, work together in, to create a holy people that are meeting with God in his holiness, but seeing the activity of God in what they do. Now, just before we, we have a, a short time of ministry, we can't avoid the fact that we are in the middle of a war. And it's got nothing to do with Brexit. This is a spiritual war. We have an enemy. And we are called to live the life of the kingdom in the world that is opposed to the life of the kingdom because it's under the power of the evil one. The spirit of the world, which motivates most people, is totally alien and opposite to the spirit of God. So we are in the midst of a battle. Sometimes there are battle casualties. There are. As there are in any war. Mm -hmm. And the enemy always tries to use situations like that to undermine our faith. But what we have to always remember is the final outcome of this war is never in doubt. But you can't have a war without casualties. And when there's casualties in natural war, obviously that is a problem and sadness and so on for, for those that are concerned. But we must never listen to the voice of the enemy. Right? Because he always wants us to look at the negative. He always wants us to look back. He says, look at your past disappointments. Because he says, if you, if you focus on your past disappointments, you will never be in a place of faith for what God wants to do now and what he intends to do in the future. The past is past. You can't relive the past. You can't do anything in the past. There was a, a, a woman who came to me once, and uh, she had asked me to pray for her husband. Her husband was seriously ill. He was dying. And when I prayed for him, God showed me that, the, that this man was going to die. And this woman was absolutely convinced, you know, God, God is going to heal him, God is going to heal him, God is going to heal him. And I, I didn't say anything to her, uh, you know, of, of what God had said to me. And, and he went to be with the Lord. He was a lovely believer, so there was no problem, you know. He was, he was going to Jesus. But the, the wife came to me afterwards, and, and she said, aren't you disappointed because I was so convinced the Lord was going to heal him? And I said, well, actually the Lord showed me that he was going to die. Now, that doesn't mean that God wanted him to die. He said, God was just showing me this is what is going to happen. It doesn't mean that God caused the... He'd been in an accident. God had caused the accident or anything like that. So the wife said to me, why didn't you tell me? And I said, because for the rest of your life, you would have been saying to yourself, if only I hadn't listened to Colin Urquhart telling me he was dying, I would have believed that he would have lived. Can you understand? Yes. You see, when you speak, 
Sometimes God does give you a revelation of what is going to happen, right? But you have to be wise about how you use that information. Amen? The point is, never let the enemy undermine your faith by pointing at your disappointments. Because you have had disappointments, you know, in your own life as a church, right? But you've had many successes. The devil doesn't point to the successes. He doesn't remind you of all the great and wonderful things that God has done. You can sing about them as you did this morning. But the thing is, always to remember, okay, our God is going to do even more wonderful things in the future. And whatever disappointments we've had, they're never, ever going to prevent us from moving forward in the purposes of God. Amen? Sometimes we don't understand why these things happen, but they are not going to prevent the purpose of God being outworked in our lives. And that's why it's so good to be a body, because we love one another, we can support one another, encourage one another. When one is down, the others can lift them up. And then when you're down, others will lift you up. Why? Because we love one another as he has loved us. We lay down our lives for one another. We're here for one another, not just for ourselves. Praise God. So, oh dear, time is gone. Uh, we're going to have a short time of ministry. But you're going to do it. Now, listen. This is, this is something God's laid on my heart to do this morning. It's not something that I normally do. But, but there is no condemnation or saying we've got first-class, second-class citizens or anything like that. But I believe God has spoken into the hearts of many people during the course of these days, and you are now in the place where you believe that because you can stand before God the first minute and all that that involves, and because God has given you that authority, he can use you to speak healing, release, provision, whatever, into the lives of others. Now, if you believe you're in that place of faith, please stand up. I want you to be honest. Okay. Now, that's just about as I believe the Lord was saying it would be. But some are in that position already. Some need to come to that place of faith. Now, I want you all, those seated and those standing, just to close your eyes. Now, I want you to bring to mind a particular need that is to be met in your life.
Right, now I want those of you who are standing to go to those that are sitting. And in one sentence, I want you to speak the answer into their lives in the name of Jesus. You're going to step out just like Peter did on that day. Perhaps this was the first time he'd done anything quite like that since Jesus had gone to heaven. So you're going to step out in faith. So the one sitting down, if you can say to the one who comes to you, what I need is so-and-so and so-and-so, then they will answer you in the name of Jesus. And we believe the power of God is going to meet the need. Amen. Amen. If it's something so personal, just say to the person, just say to the one who comes to speak to you, I would say pray for you, but this is not conventional prayer. There's no old father, you know, you bless this child. You're speaking in the name of Jesus. What I have, I give to you. All right? You can lay hands on their head if you like, or you can just speak to them. It doesn't matter. You can do either as you feel appropriate. If it's personal, just say it's something very personal. And then, so you who are doing the speaking, just speak in the name of Jesus, the answer to that need. Okay? So go to it. Just a single sentence, not a long prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever. You might need to go to two or three people. This is not love-in time. This is answer time. If you're laying hands on them, always on the head, not the shoulder, not the back, on the head. Just a sentence. It's because God does not depend upon your words. You're depending upon him. Just one sentence. You can hold your hand there for a few moments if you like. Just that word of authority. Then when somebody's prayed for you, you start giving thanks. Thank you, Lord. I believe that need has been addressed. I believe that need is met. I believe I have received it. When you said your one sentence to one person, move on to someone else. If nobody's prayed for you yet, just raise a hand, then somebody will know and they'll come to you. Just look around for any hands that are raised.
Okay, when you've done that, come and sit down. Now listen to me, because I'm saying this to you in love. Is that all right? I said to you, say one sentence. It was quite obvious that many of you said more than one sentence. What's wrong with that? Because you were putting your trust in your prayer. You weren't putting your trust in Jesus. There is all the difference in the world. Jesus says you will not be heard for your many words. If you're going to act with authority like you can, like God wants to teach you, then you have to act with authority. Authority is giving commands. And when you give commands, you don't need many words. It's not lots of sentences. It's not prayer in the conventional sense. We've got to learn what I have, I give to you, boom, here it is. In the name of Jesus, now receive it. Are we understanding? We get so used to thinking we've got to pray the right way. Are we praying with faith? Aren't we praying with faith? Have we got the right words? Is God listening? Isn't he listening? Have we done it right? Is, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? We've got to get beyond that, haven't we? We've got to get beyond that. There are times when we pray like that. But when we are exercising the authority, the faith, when we're using, that speaking, those words, we have to be like the woman, pressed through the crowd, like Peter, like the centurion that came to Jesus. Speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Just speak the word. This is the kind of faith. It's that much more difficult when you're ministering to people that you know and love, because you know you want to love on them, and you want to say all kinds of nice things to them, and you want to bless them, and you think the more you say, the better it will be. And actually, it doesn't work like that. Have we got the idea? Mm -hmm. There are other times when we need to pray together in other ways. But what we've been talking about is this word of faith, of authority, spoken in love. But we expect that word to work. Your faith is not in your prayer. Your faith is in the one in whose name you are speaking. All the difference in the world. That's why when Jesus taught the disciples to pray with faith, the first thing he said was have faith in God. Don't have faith in your feelings. Don't have faith in your circumstances. Don't even have faith in your prayer. Have faith in God. 
Then he said, speak to the mountain and command it to be moved. And whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. So when you're on the receiving end, you believe you have received it and it will be yours. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. Let's all stand. We thank you for all that you've been putting into our lives. And, Lord, perhaps some of these things are new for, for, for many of us. They're a bit strange. We, we're not used to perhaps operating in this way, all of us. But thank you. We've got an exciting time ahead when we're going to step out in faith and your Holy Spirit will lead us. Your Holy Spirit will show us who to pray for, when to pray, what to say in your name. Just as Peter and John that day had this conviction, although they'd passed that man many days, and Jesus probably passed him many days on the way into the temple. On that day, something happened in Peter's heart, and he spoke in your name, and the man was healed. And Lord, we want to be sensitive to your spirit like that that when your spirit moves in our hearts, that we will step out with the boldness of faith. We won't step back in fear because we're not those who step back in fear and are afraid, but we are those that have the boldness of faith. So we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. And Lord, we thank you that we go forth from here to bear much fruit for the glory and praise of your wonderful name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's... Let's really shout our praises to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Amen. 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 Praise God. It's been great to be with you. Thank you. Amen. Just keep going with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.